Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. We cover a number of issues here on the podcast, and we call this the Uncommon Sense Podcast. Why? Because common sense is not common anymore, and so we call it Uncommon Sense. And oftentimes we get uh, a, a, lots of different updates to articles that we have highlighted. Um, we talk about different subjects and uh, and then there comes an update to that. There comes, uh, you know, something that's happening to that. And it's it's not maybe an earth-shattering type of thing, but it's something that you might want to know since we highlighted this in a podcast earlier. And so I thought what we would do today is we would just bring you a number of these updates to things that we've talked about recently. And from the Daily Wire and a number of articles uh, from there, the whistleblower details how FBI allegedly broke rules made January 6th higher priority than child pornography. Yes, yes, we definitely covered the January 6th uh, riot. And, um, and, and here is some really interesting information about how a whistleblower ended up uh, talking about how the FBI is, well, not necessarily fair to those that they investigated. An FBI whistleblower joined Daily Wire host Andrew Clavin Friday to re- reveal his frustration with the Bureau's leadership over January 6th investigations and detail what he experienced as an agent. Steve Friend, who was a domestic terrorism investigator before uh, being suspended, told the host um, that the FBI broke its own rules when investigating January 6th cases and arrested people without enough evidence. He also explained how one of his supervisors told him that January 6th was a higher priority than pursuing child pornography cases. Quote, when I was moved out to, uh, when I was moved over to from my child uh, exploitation cases, the, um, the assistant uh, special agent in charge even mentioned that he felt that child pornography was going to be a local issue and that domestic terrorism, specifically January 6th, was the higher priority, Friend said. The whistleblower added that when he started getting involved in January 6th cases, he noticed that they were, well, as he put it, more or less being directed from Washington, D.C., even though Local field offices usually call most of the shots in, on, on their cases. Friend explained that this was inconsistent with FBI rules. Quote, so we have very specific rules when it comes to having cases open once they're opened and, and assigned to a specific field office. And there's agents or task force officers who are running that case. It's really their responsibility to be able to carry the case forward and make all the investigative decisions. Bending the rules wasn't the only way the Bureau took January 6th investigations too far, according to him. The whistleblower also said that the FBI treated nonviolent protesters unfairly. Friend told uh, Clavin that he has arrested 150 violent criminals over the course of his career, 150. 
and has never used a SWAT team. But when arresting an alleged capital writer whose biggest crime was entering the building and taking a brochure, the FBI used flashbangs and breached his home at 6 a.m. in the morning. The FBI agent brought up his concerns with his colleagues, but said that he was resisted. They pushed back on me, and I was being a bad teammate. They said that I was being insubordinate. Even brought up the fact that, well, you know, what's my future going to be with the FBI, despite having my work reputation being really good? Friend uh, was sent home and then later suspended after meeting with a special agent in charge who told him that he represented a really fringe belief within the FBI. But that fringe belief is more common than what leaders in the Bureau are saying, friend remarked. Quote, agents on the ground have agreed with my uh, assessment that we're being overly aggressive. The whistleblower said of pursuing the alleged January 6th writers course, the, um, according to him, the gap between management and the field within the FBI is proof that massive reform is needed at the headquarters. Quote, I think that the mindset there is really the problem, he said. The rank and file people just want to put bad guys in jail. And, and I will say that this definitely, in my opinion, is more evidence that federal agents like the FBI and others have been weaponized and are being used for political purposes by this administration. You see this more and more and more. You see that these, like the FBI, it should be an agency that is not political, that it just simply goes after bad guys, right? People that are breaking the law, that it it investigates those things, and it, then it sends things over to the DOJ. But that's not what's happening. They, they are being used by this administration to go after their enemies, and they're being used as um, in, in, in a way to intimidate. Nah, maybe not just in a way. I mean, they are being used to intimidate. You don't do what they're doing to people that, that they wouldn't normally do it to without knowing that they are being weaponized. And, and this is just another example of that. So let's, let's move on. Elon Musk nukes Twitter's board of directors. Takes new action to limit employees' power. Well, this is kind of interesting, right? This this has been a very entertaining thing to watch, this whole thing with Elon Musk and the buying of Twitter. And the new Twitter CEO, Elon Musk, of course, he's the new new uh, CEO now, right? Uh, and and he, he became the sole director of Twitter on Monday after he moved to disband the social media company's board of directors. The move became official in uh, a securities filing that stated that the members of the board, which included some recently fired top executives, <laughs> were no longer directors in accordance with the terms of the uh, merger agreement. Uh, and this is what CNN reported. Now, Musk also took action to limit the ability of Twitter employees to moderate content and enforce the platform's often scrutinized rules. Bloomberg News reported that most of Twitter's trust and safety team is unable to alter or penalize accounts that break rules um, around misleading information, uh, um, offensive posts and, and hate speech and that type of thing, except for extreme circumstances in which you know real world harm could happen if, if action isn't taken. So basically, 
they're not able to do that anymore. The team has not had access to a dashboard tool that they use to carry out enforcement actions like banning an account or locking a user out of their own account for a period of time due to you know a violation, measures which many critics, of course, say are used as weapons because you know they disproportionately target conservatives. I mean, that's that's just a simple fact. Um, a, a separate report from Bloomberg News said that Musk has asked his team to review the platform's hateful conduct policy. Well, that's a good thing, right? Specifically, a portion that penalizes users for targeted misgendering or deadnaming of gender individuals. So, so obviously, if you don't agree with transgender type stuff, then you can be banned from Twitter. It, it is interesting to me too. They, the top Twitter executives are actually set to get $120 million in a golden parachute. Yeah, yes. So the, the ones that, that, that got fired, these, these executives that did such a terrible job with Twitter that it, it was going downhill, um, well, they're going to get $120 million on their way out the door. Uh, with the former C- CEO himself set to get $42 million of that $120 million. Now, Musk appears to be, you know, cleaning house at Twitter, and that's awesome. I mean, he's even, they're, they're saying, obviously, we, we did uh, the, the article where uh, he's, he's expected to, to fire up to 75% of, of the Twitter employees. Uh, and, and, um, and, and, and I think he's learning his lesson from Trump. He's he's cleaning house. Trump went in and he didn't clean house. He didn't he didn't get rid of everybody that he needed to get to to get rid of. He he kind of left a lot of these bureaucrats around and they came back to bite him. And it appears that Musk is not going to make that same mistake. Well, the Supreme Court uh, may kill affirmative action. Wouldn't that be nice, right? We've covered affirmative action on this podcast a number of times. And affirmative action is just simply this. It's racist. It is basically saying that if you are a certain skin color, if you're a certain nationality, whatever, then you have priority over someone else. Or, you know, maybe you're the wrong skin color. And so you 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 obviously can't have the same privileges that other skin colors can. The Supreme Court heard two cases on Monday that could lead justices to rule against affirmative action. And of course, the policy by which universities promote individuals of various minority groups in admissions processes. So one of the places that you see this a lot is in college admissions, uh, where they will look at what your nationality or skin color is, and they will decide whether or not you can go to their school or not. Students uh, for Fair Admissions, a legal advocacy group, which opposes affirmative action, has filed complaints against both Harvard University and the University of North Carolina for employing racial and uh, ethical um, uh, discriminatory policies and procedures when accepting students. The lawsuit against Harvard argued that Asian American students need significantly higher standardized test scores to gain entrance into elite colleges. Conservative-leaning members of the Supreme Court expressed a high degree of skepticism toward race-conscious admissions practices as lawyers for both universities presented their arguments. Uh, Justice Brent Kavanaugh said that such policies 
are potentially dangerous and must have a logical endpoint. While Justice Amy Coney Barrett asked attorneys for, uh, for the University of North Carolina when the sunset for the policies can be expected. Justice Clarence Thomas said that he has heard the word diversity quite a few times and does not have any clue what it means. I love I love Clarence Thomas. He is him him and Samuel Alito are awesome. And 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 Thomas, I mean his his whole thing of okay, can you please explain diversity because he said it means something to everybody. It's something different all over the place. So anyway, obviously the lawyers couldn't do that. Uh and 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 Alito, here's here's a comment from Alito. College admissions are a zero sum game, said Samuel Alito. Uh, um, and and if you give a plus to a person who falls within the category of underrepresented minority, but you but not to someone else, then you are disadvantaging the other student. I mean, how how much plainer could it be, right? That's exactly what all of this is about. Numerous studies have have indeed highlighted the disadvantages facing the Asian Americans in college. Uh, admissions process, seeking to reserve places for Black and Hispanic students. One study from 2009 concluded that Asians required a SAT score, SAT score, um, approximately 140 points higher than white applicants and 270 points higher than Hispanic applicants and 450 points higher than Black applicants. Can you imagine having to score on your, on your SATs 450 points higher than black, than a black ap- uh, applicant, according to uh, a report from the Asian American Coalition for Education. Quote, college admission process should be focused on bringing the best and brightest minds to an, an institution, not making elite liberals feel good about their racial sensitivity, which is all the, the euphemistically named uh, affirmative action does. This this is a quote, actually, from Heritage Foundation senior fellow Mike Gonzalez. And he added, um, affirmative action does not solve the problem of why members of some groups fall behind academically. It does not address failing public schools, worsening um, you know, the, the so- social, economic, and, and family uh, formation issues, or high out-of-wedlock birth rates that hold people down. Instead of affirmative action mandates by imperial fiat that a certain percentage of college of a college must be filled with a certain group. So again, you just you look at their skin color and that's it. Um, an entertaining question uh, during all of this came from Justice Alito when he was asked if someone had um, had heard that maybe there might be someone in, way back in their ancestry that was Native American, uh, or if maybe they just identified as Native American, if they could be considered Native American for admission. So anyway, this has been a very entertaining um, uh, session for the Supreme Court, and, and we will continue to bring you updates on how that is going. Um, a suspect who uh, attacked Paul Pelosi is an illegal immigrant, says a report. So we we just brought to you uh, earlier in the week the uh, uh, the story about Paul Pelosi being attacked by a, an invader into his home. Well, the man accused of breaking into 
House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's uh, home and attacking her husband with the hammer during the early morning hours uh, on Friday is reportedly in the United States illegally. Fox News res- uh, responded. Uh, correspondent Bill uh, Melligan uh, reported Monday afternoon that per ICE source, David De Pepe, the subject accused of beating Paul Pelosi in his home with a hammer uh, after breaking in, is currently the U- is in the U.S. illegally as a longtime visa overstay. According to the court documents, De Pepe told law enforcement that he broke into the home through a glass door using a hammer and that he found Paul Pelosi sleeping in bed and forced him to wake up. De Pepe said that he was looking for Nancy Pelosi because he wanted to take her hostage and effectively interrogate her. Quote, if Nancy were to tell De Pepe the truth, he would let her go. And if she lied, he was going to break her kneecaps. This is, this is from court documents. De Pepe was certain that Nancy would not have told the truth. <laughs> as well as most of Americans as well, right? <laughs> In the course of the interview, De Pepe articulated that he uh, viewed Nancy as the leader of the pack of lies uh, told by the Democratic Party. And De Pepe also later explained that uh, by breaking Nancy's kneecaps, she would have uh, then have to be wheeled into Congress and would be uh, a, a show for other members of Congress uh, that were there. That the that there are consequences to actions, as they put it. Well, De Pepe said that when the two men went downstairs, police arrived and and knocked on the door, and that uh, Paul Pelosi ran over and opened it, according to court documents, and and uh, Pelosi grabbed onto De Pepe's hammer, which went in, which was in De Pepe's hand, and the documents continued saying that at the uh, at this point in the interview, De Pepe repeated that De Pepe did not plan to surrender, and he was going to go through uh, go through Pelosi. Uh, De Pepe stated that he pulled the hammer away from Pelosi and swung the the hammer towards Pelosi. And De Pepe explained that that Pelosi's actions resulted in 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 Pelosi taking the punishment instead. Now I will say that you know life is just full of little ironies, and, and I'm again not making light. Just like we didn't make light of this uh, on Monday, I'm not making light uh, of of the situation. But I wonder if maybe the Pelosi's will be in favor of securing our borders now. Yeah, no. What am I thinking? All right. Uh, A report came out at least 10,000 fewer illegal abortions. I'm sorry. Legal abortions have occurred since the overturn of Roe. Isn't that interesting? At least 10,000 fewer legal abortions occurred in the U.S. in the two months following the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, according to a report by 5038. The, the study compiled by the pro-abortion nonprofit uh, hashtag we count, part of the Society for Family Planning, uh, noted that 10,570 fewer abortions took place in July and August than estimates from before the overturn of Roe. The, the data com, uh, compared the number of um, legal abortions across uh, the, the state, um, each state from April through August to illustrate the difference before and after the court's ruling. States that enacted more restrictive abortion laws in the wake of the decision saw a drop of over 22,000 abortions. Yes, 
while states that did not saw an aggregate increase of about 12,000. So so what you're seeing here is you're seeing about a 10,000 rate of drop in the abortion numbers. So that's awesome. That means that there are 10,000 babies that were saved just simply in those few months. And that is awesome. And speaking of Planned Parenthood, Pennsylvania taxpayers spent 16 or I'm sorry, $16.7 million on trans treatments for minors since 2015. A new public's record request reveals how, uh, how millions of taxpayer dollars have funded controversial transgender-affirming medical treatments for trans-identifying minors in Pennsylvania. Now, we, we talked about this um, uh, on on the uh, on the podcast about how uh, Pennsylvania was paying for people uh, for for surgeries and and treatments uh, for kids who wanted to transition to another gender, um, and the Pennsylvania Family Institute, a, a nonprofit uh, representing family uh, values, filed a right to know request with the Pennsylvania Department of Human Services to find out exactly how much taxpayer money has been spent on um, medically transitioning children and adolescents uh, in in the state. The request revealed that since 2015, more than $16.7 million in taxpayer money has been spent on puberty blocker drugs, uh, cross-sex hormones, and gender-related surgeries for minors. Quote, when Governor Tom Wolf took office, he unilaterally changed state policy to cover things like double mastectomies, to remove healthy breasts from minor girls, and uh, ir- irreversible experimental hormones for children. And this, this is a quote uh, that was from Emily Kreps. Uh, she's with the PA Family Institute. The uh, same drugs used to chemically castrate convicted sex offenders are being fun, uh, funded by tax dollars for minors. This type of care is happening right now at the major institute, uh, institutes like CHOP, Penn State Health, and UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, especially to children in foster care. In, in, in 2015, Democratic Governor Tom Wolf took office nominating Dr. Rachel Levine, of all people, right? A uh, transgender pediatrician uh, as Pennsylvania's physician general. Now, before becoming the assistant secretary of health to the Biden administration, Levine worked for six years to advance LGBTQ rights, including access to gender affirming care. Levine has has pressed for insurance coverage for medical gender transitions at the state and federal levels. And from 2015 to 2021, Pennsylvania saw a nearly, get this, 5,000% increase in spending on gender-affirming care for minors under 18. Now, gender-affirming care discourages medical professionals from questioning a minor's self-reported uh, transgender identity or exploring possible underlying factors that may be causing their dysphoria. The, the standard protocol for gender affirming is a- administering puberty blockers followed by cross-sex hormones and then surgery if desired. Proponents uh, generally argue that 
you know, the parental approval should not be required and reject mental gatekeeping. So in other words, if they say they want to be a different gender, you cannot question that. You cannot ask, well, you know, why do you want to do that? You just have to start getting them on things. Uh, and that's, that, that is just a terrible, terrible situation all the way around. None of the, uh, uh, they're, uh, none, none of these U.S.-based organizations that we've been talking about um, that, that endorse the gender-affirming care have, have done uh, systematic reviews uh, of, of the evidence, while um, arguably more leftist European countries like Sweden and Finland and England, they have. And after reviewing the evidence for the use of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones um, in treating the, the pediatric gender dysphoria, well, health authorities in all three countries have decided to abandon the gender affirming model and and finding the cost outweighs the benefits. So, you know, in my, in my mind, what could possibly be a reason that anyone would perform these kinds of treatments on children? And, and don't say that they will commit suicide other, uh, otherwise, because the studies and the data do not show that to be true. And, and, and the other question here is, why would taxpayers have to pay for it? And speaking of Planned Parenthood, we, we have this. Uh, Michigan voters consider next step in pro-abortion extremism, the sterilization without parental consent. Yes, uh, I mean, these guys will go to no ends uh, to, to hold on to their power and their money. Supporters of abortion rights want voters to think the 2022 election will be about restoring Roe versus Wade. However, they are stealthily trying to pass radical abortion policies into state constitutions under the guise of restoring Roe policies that would make the United States the most pro-abortion country in the world. How radical is this push for abortion rights this year? Well, in Michigan, Proposal 3 seeks to amend the state constitution yes, amend the state constitution, to create an unlimited and unregulated right to abortion for all ages. If passed, uh, Proposition 3 or Proposal 3 would repeal parental consent for abortions, allow the abortion up to the moment of birth, and, and allow a school counselor to take a child for an abortion without their parents knowing. This constitutional amendment, written by Planned Parenthood and the ACLU, shocker, shocker, creates not only a constitutional right to abortion for minors, but also creates a fundamental right for sterilization. The word sterilization is quietly placed into this proposal without any definition or exploration. And it's done that, it, it, it's put in there on purpose, right? It's put in there on purpose in that way so that they can sneak it in there and they can now say, okay, now we 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 can do sterilization type uh, methods without parental consent. It seems clear this extreme amendment was never about restoring access to abortion, but was intended to permanently and irrevocably change Michigan's constitution to write parents out of their children's lives. Currently, minors seeking abortions or chemical or surgical sterilization are required to have parental consent. No matter your views on transgender movement and the transgender reassignment, there should hardly be a soul on this planet who thinks abortion or gender reassignment for a 12-year-old girl orchestrated by some gender theory activist without parental involvement 
is a world that we should strive for. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yet, this is the abortion industry's new game plan. They're using the fall of Roe v. Wade to you know, emotionally blind voters into, into spreading uh, radical abortion extremism from state to state. No longer is the goal for abortion to be safe, legal, and rare, right? Instead, it is on demand at any time with no restrictions. And abortion free for all isn't enough. Now they want access to the most you know, intimate aspects of your child's life, including their identity, their worldview, and their body. If Planned Parenthood succeeds, soon parents will be forced to helplessly look on as their children are put in danger by the radical industry that, that preys on them for profit. I mean, this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. And parents' parents' rights are being attacked at every turn. And, and if we don't fight to keep them, then you will just become, as they see you, a birthing person, right? You're no longer going to be a parent who's responsible for your child. They're responsible for your child. They will do what is right. You just birth them and give them to us, right? That is what they're going for. And that is that is on full display with this type of thing that we're talking about here. And we will continue to watch, uh, you know, watch how this unfolds. Uh, it's not just Michigan. This is, this is, it, 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 it this, it, if it passes here in Michigan, obviously they're going to be boldened by this and they're, you're going to see this in your state as well. So anyway, update on that. And, and we'll, we'll keep our eye on, on, on all the things that are happening. You may agree with some of these, you may disagree with some of these, but I would definitely love to have a conversation with you about it. And of course, you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.